You're listening to Queer Out Here. What are we doing? Give me the right. Hello. Hi. Oh my god, this is great. London, Vegas, Germany, Arizona. I took a long turn. Wait, left, left. Oh, okay. Hello, old friend. Because I grew up in this village where the road winds through the hills. The closer I'm getting to the Alps, the colder it's getting. I'm long way from home. I don't feel like we should stop yet. No. Sticking with the theme, this has to be the start of something new. This is Queer Out Here, an audio zine that explores the outdoors from queer perspectives. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Alice. Welcome to issue five. Or more specifically, welcome to issue five, side A. Yes, we had a terrific response to our call for submissions this time around. In fact, we ended up with too many pieces to fit into one issue. So instead of forcing ourselves to choose which pieces to accept, we decided to break issue 5 into a side A and a side B. As we listened through the pieces, we found that many of them fell quite distinctly into two categories. Those that were recorded in or talked about pre-lockdown times, and those that were recorded during or mentioned the COVID-19 lockdown. So that's how we have curated issue 5. Side A is mostly about outdoors adventures pre-lockdown, and Side B features much more discussion about a life in which outdoor movements is restricted right across the population. As always, the pieces in Queer Out Here talk about many things related to being queer and the outdoors. Issue 5, Side A, includes discussions of queer phobia in family situations and religious groups, mentions of former relationships and sensual desire, as well as some wind distortion and shouting. If you have specific anxieties or triggers, you may wish to ask a trusted friend to listen through and give you feedback, or you can also check the transcript for particular words or phrases. You can find it linked in the show notes on our website, queerouthere.com. Before we start, a big shout out to Emily, who has created our cover art for issue 5, a piece that combines photography and embroidery, reflecting our ethos of DIY, craftiness and experimentation. And now, on with the show. Let's Let's get get queer queer out here. here. Our first piece is from Drew Marland, who combines poetry and personal reflection to think about how nightingales and their song appear in her life and are interpreted by musicians and other artists. Call me an old curmudgeon because I probably am, she writes, but I'd rather just experience wildness directly than have it mediated through somebody else. Ironically, I suppose that is exactly what I'm doing with this nightingale song. I always thought there was something magical about nightingale song and looked forward to hearing it in the wilds for myself. But whenever I set out deliberately to hear them, I always failed, like in Nightingale Valley, in the Avon Gorge near Bristol, where any nightingales have long gone. Twice now I've heard them sing, and both times it was travelling in France. Here's the first time. All that hot June day I'd ridden south, through Brittany, then those long straight roads inland, for hours on end, ear-tuned to the engine's beat. She came through some strange towns and looped a floodlit abbey, maybe Angoulême. The cafe's closing, the locals heading on for home or who knows where. It all looked good, but I was passing through, an unknown ghost in towns I'd never heard of until then. Round midnight, where the road winds through the hills, I pulled over for a rest, kicked down the stand and killed the engine, pulled my helmet off, and heard at once the nightingale from somewhere in the scrub, a stream of sweet low notes that wound around the hills. The woods exhaled the scent of pines, the engine ticking softly now and then as it too cooled and finally at last fell still. 
Beatrice Harrison played her cello to the accompaniment of a nightingale for a BBC recording in 1924. That worked pretty well for me. Other musical interventions I've heard have been a bit intrusive, and I'd much rather just listen to the bird. I wrote this after an odd thing on Radio 3. There's something about the nightingale song that makes folk determined to play along, like Beatrice Harrison's cello on the BBC and those RAF bombers on their way to Germany, or that piano orchestration by Olivier Messiaen, which was musically impressive, but a rotten impression. Still, good, bad or indifferent, they all fail to make any difference to the nightingale, who sings for ears that aren't human at all. If there's no one in the forest where its song falls, does it make a sound? I guess the answer to that's an enormous yes. This is Martha. I'm in Brockwell Park in London, surrounded by parakeets. And you're listening to Queer Out Here. The next pieces explores the relationship between place, memory and senses. First, we have Kai Johnson, a repeat contributor, with her piece Rainy Day at Watham Lake. In it... Kai reflects on their relationship to the lake, a place they return to often. Through repeated visits, the lake becomes a repository of memories and serves as a touchstone for accessing those moments in time. This recording was made on the land of the Kathlamet, Wasco and Rishram, Clatsop and Clackamas, and other indigenous peoples who have been caring for this place for countless generations. Memory becomes entwined with physical sensation in Jonathan's piece, What Remains, Petricor. To make this piece, Jonathan recorded the inside of an old piano as he played, then edited out the sound of the hammer hitting the strings, leaving only the decaying sound, like the earthy scent of soil that lingers after a passing rainstorm. This piece was first published at Audio Playground at XYZ. First up, we have Rainy Day at Watham Lake by Kai Johnson. My name is Kai Johnson, and I'm inviting you on a rainy day hike with me at Watham Lake. It's an important place for me because I visited it uh, quite a few times at different significant moments, including one of my first queer dates in Portland. My f- first submission to Queer Out Here, which is in issue three, is a conversation with a friend of mine about nature and the city and growing up. This is a continuation of sorts as I explore the way that place can hold memories and the significance of nature in inhabiting our bodies. All right, so now I am at the trailhead and I'm going to get out and go for a little hike. It's a tiny bit muddy here, but not not too bad. 
lots of rocks and a pretty good coat of pine needles. mushroom friend. Oh, there's Wado Lake. Hello, old friend. It is quite lovely. There's um, kind of a low mist hanging in the trees. In a way, this place kind of holds a lot of memories for me holds this like moment of this is really exciting. I've, I've moved somewhere I want to live for the first time ever. I'm newly, like pretty newly out. I'm dating and I'm hiking and I'm doing all these things that I want to do and it was just a really a moment of a fresh start for me. And then, you know, the next time I came back wasn't that long after that, just a few months, but I was backpacking for the first time and I was on my own feeling really independent and really uh, excited and that backpacking trip really solidified that like my body and I are working together on something um, that's really nourishing for my soul and empowering and not only am I like physically capable of of hiking 50 miles and I'm also mentally capable of overcoming the like stress of being all alone and running out of water or being all alone and getting lost and yeah I learned I learned something about myself that I didn't really know before that. And then the first person that I really fell in love with several years later, um, like the first person I like properly loved after coming out is genderqueer. Um, mm, that's not entirely true. They're the first person that I really thought, all right, like, I'm ready to give the idea of a long-term commitment. I'm ready to, like, let myself feel all the feelings, even though it's scary. I just really threw my head and my heart 100% into it. And I'm sad that it didn't work out. And I'm particularly sad about the way that um, things ended. It was a really painful breakup. Oh, I don't know if you'll be able to hear this, but the trees are talking. good to be here. So many of those 
other three times that I visited really felt like the beginnings of things. Uh, well, they were the beginnings of things. It feels good to come back and maybe close out those moments and that heartache of Elle and I's breakup. I guess sticking with the theme, this has to be the start of something new. I guess I just don't know what it is yet. It feels like a lot has changed since the last time I was here. I feel like I've changed a lot since the last time I was here and it's kind of nice to know that this place is still pretty much the same. I guess that's part of, um, part of what feels really important to me about connecting with nature and spending time outside is, uh, despite a lot of changes in my life, uh, and even moving to the other side of the Continental Divide where there is a really different arrangement of flora and fauna. Um, there's something kind of consistent about being able to be out in the woods in the quiet. Like that part, the part of me that connects to that has been the same since I was really small. is just getting lower and lower and lower. I can see it. It's just kind of rolling over the lake and when I first got here I could see quite a bit of the trees but I can only see maybe the about a hundred feet above the lake or so. Oh, perhaps I should go back to my car and head back down. Because if it is this misty, that road is going to be not fun to drive on in the dark. Yeah, I think that's what I should do. Thanks so much for joining me on this little hike. Special thanks to Bex, who generously lent me their car so I could visit Wadham Lake and make this recording for you.
This audio zine has a fairly long production cycle. Our submissions window is usually around three months, and then it takes another eight weeks or more for the two of us to produce and release an issue. A lot can happen in half a year. This time around, the world went into lockdown during our submissions window, and then as we edited the issue together, protests, actions, and the weight of much of the world's attention shifted to the Black Lives Matter movement, and to the urgent and long-standing need to dismantle systems of racist oppression and violent state institutions such as prisons and the police, the need to fight racism, anti-blackness, and white supremacy in all its forms. Originally, at this point, we were going to share a beautifully produced piece about nature, but as our release date grew closer, the person who made this contribution felt it was inappropriate to put their piece into the world at this time. We understand and support their decision. Rather than re-editing the whole of Side A and pretending the submission never existed, we wanted to take this opportunity to address something that we both struggle with as we produce every issue of Queer Art here. What is our relevance in the wider world? especially given that, despite our efforts to source submission from a range of people since we first started this zine, about 80-90% of our contributors are white. The fact is that this zine does not reflect the racial and cultural diversity of queer identities, not even the identities of queer English speakers in the countries where most of our pieces come from. The voices and stories you hear, that we give a platform to, are by and large voices and stories that come from a place of white privilege. We've wanted to change this since our first issue, but it's clear that what we've done up until now has not been enough. We will continue to seek out contributions from queer folks who are black, who are indigenous and First Nations, and other queer people of colour, but we would also like to offer more support to potential contributors. This might mean assistance with editing, equipment research, talking through ideas and so on. We've done this for contributors in the past, but we want to explicitly offer this to black and indigenous potential producers and other queer people of colour for future issues. If you'd like some support with your piece, please get in touch with us by emailing queerouthere at gmail.com. We're also open to hearing other ideas for improving Queer Out Here. We've been thinking about how to bring on board guest editors or even community-based scouts or quote-unquote talent recruiters. If you've got ideas about how this could work, or if you'd like to get involved, please do get in touch. If you've created a piece for Queer Out here before, please think about how you could help someone else produce something for a future issue. We also want to encourage our listeners, that's you, to seek out podcasts and media produced by and featuring the voices and stories of black people, indigenous people, people of colour. We've been posting links on our social media accounts, and there's a bunch of audio and video on the inspiration page of our website, but a couple of other places you could start are Diversify Outdoors at diversifyoutdoors.com forward slash resources and Melanin Bestcamp at melaninbestcamp.com. And if you have any recommendations, please let us know. And finally, don't stop with media consumption. Fellow white people especially, donate where you can, protest where you can, read up on the Black Lives Matter movement and on the history of anti-racist and anti-colonial movements where you live and elsewhere around the world. Confront racism when you encounter it and have those difficult conversations. Perhaps this disruption to the usual format of Queer Art Here is a bit uncomfortable for you. Deciding to use this space this way wasn't a particularly comfortable decision for us either. But comfort in the face of racism is a privilege, and we thought it was important to discuss here. Now, if you're like us, there are probably a few actions you've been meaning to take. Articles to read, petitions to sign, donations to make. So, why not do that now? We'll return you to the rest of Issue 5 Side A very soon.
Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm Anyurin. And I'm Kermi. And that's Fly the Dog being very quiet. Oh, the pig's name is Maybell, according to the sign on the paddock. Thank you, Maybell. And we are all at Collingwood Children's Farm. And it's queer out here. Turned around and walked into a goat, and was all right behind me. And it's all snuggly. That was a good toy. We now enter a section focused on travel, in which our contributors take us along their trips. First, we join Julia as she goes on a Christmas cycle adventure up the Rhine. With no family to spend the holiday season with, Julia was free to use her time off to explore, letting the movement of a journey take her mind off the expected social norms of the holiday season. After that, we follow Chrissy and her family as they wander the desert of the USA. All of the pieces you are going to hear were recorded in a pre-lockdown world, when we could move more freely across the globe. As we entered lockdown, travel changed meaning. Wandering through a never-explored street close to home became a new kind of journey, the only one that was allowed. Lockdown is slowly being lifted in a lot of countries, but travel is still restricted. How will our experiences have changed our approach to travel? Maybe this is a topic you could explore for the next issue of Queer Out Here. Greetings from Mainz in Germany. Uh, I've just arrived at a hotel after what turned out to be a 170km bike ride along the Rhine, which is a pretty damn good way to spend Christmas Day. For many, Christmas is synonymous with family. Going home to your parents, with siblings, other relatives. A chance to eat far too much, argue over Monopoly, that sort of thing. But for many in the queer community, that's not an option. Some of us are fortunate enough that family are completely accepting of who we are. But unfortunately for many, that's not the case. We are, at best, left in a situation where we may have to sit at the table with some homophobic relative, or if we're not out, sit there listening to someone ranting, cringing to ourselves inside. And for those of us that are out, we might have to endure not being able to go home at all. Unfortunately, I'm in that latter position. And the first few years were quite tough. And for well, a couple of years, there were, I tried doing a, a waifs and gays Christmas dinner didn't really work but 
the last few years, I think I've found a solution. And it's my bike. So this morning I woke up in a hotel in Cologne, in Germany. And I spent the day cycling along the Rhine. Tomorrow, Boxing Day, I'm going to get up and I'm going to continue my journey. The final destination is Liechtenstein. And I'm hoping to cycle the whole way. But if the weather's crap or I'm not feeling up to it, I can always hop on a train for part of the route. It's my way of dealing with Christmas and society's expectations that we spend it with family when not everybody has a family to spend it with. Hello, greetings from just outside Freiburg in southwestern Germany. It's uh, now the 27th of December and it's been an interesting couple of days. Yesterday it was... A slow start and I really struggled to find anywhere that was open for food. Um, in the end I had breakfast in a gas station because it was the only place open. Wasted too much time cycling around trying to find somewhere for lunch. I was too slow with too much effort going in for not enough forward movement. So I took a, a jump forward with the train to shave off about 50 kilometres and just to make some progress towards the hotel I had booked. Part of me is annoyed having to use a train, but at the same time, it's a useful lesson. This is my holiday, and it's a trip where I'm not against a clock, I'm not racing. It's just supposed to be fun and relaxing. And... I need to remind myself sometimes that the correct thing to do is, you know, if it's not fun, don't do it. That was yesterday. Today was a complete contrast. Um, within about 15 kilometres of leaving the hotel this morning, I took a wrong turning and by chance, a 100 metres up the road, I came across a bike shop. They let me use their compressor to pump up the pressure in my tyres. And it was like I had a whole new bike. My speed went up by four kilometres an hour for the same effort. And everything became much, much more fun. It was great. And I think it's... It's a useful lesson to learn, to remind myself that if it's not fun, if it's too hard, maybe just stop and check the pressures. Check that everything is how it should be. Check the bike, because you never know. You might have just made a simple mistake. I'm now in Freiburg. 
I've got two more days of riding. Hopefully tomorrow I'm going to cross into Switzerland. From there it's a simple run-in along the Zurich Zee down to Liechtenstein. The closer I'm getting to the Alps, the colder it's getting. But today was fun again. I hope tomorrow is fun too. Hello from Liechtenstein. I made it. It's, uh, I didn't cycle as much of the whole route as I intended. The, the weather the last couple of days has been a little bit problematic. As it's got much, much colder towards the end of the day, I've had to be worried about ice. But it's still good. I did 90-something uh, kilometres today, I think it was, and 70 or 80 yesterday. It's, uh, it's all starting to blur a bit, so I'm not totally sure. Today was beautiful, glorious, sunny conditions, and I cycled the length of the Zurich Zee, and the roads were pretty quiet, beautiful blue skies, and the snow-capped mountains, and it was just amazing, absolutely brilliant. I had to take the train at the end of the day because the, the small roads I was using were icing up, but the final bit, I had a 10k ride across the Rhine and into Liechtenstein. It's such a weird little country. It's a population of about 37,000 people. So, yet it's the world's largest exporter of false teeth. Useless, weird trivia they mention. Crossing the Rhine to get into the country as the sun was setting was absolutely amazing. The The feeling of having arrived. This trip wasn't necessarily the, the adventure I set out to have, but it's been the adventure that I needed to have. And, yeah... I know for many, the idea of riding 900 kilometres or 700 or however many I've done in conditions floating around zero degrees, a lot of it in the dark, doesn't appeal. But maybe you can go for a long hike. Maybe you could take your bike somewhere warmer. Just remember, there are options out there that don't involve having to endure family. The great outdoors can be our family. It can be where we feel safe. It can help us avoid the, the horrible crap that this time of year can bring. So yeah, I've made it to Liechtenstein. Happy Christmas, right strong, Alfie to say.
Yeah, the trails aren't marked on Google Maps, so you can't see okay. the path of that. Yeah. I don't, I, you, know, you could just walk for ages, isn't it? Hi, this is Chrissy, and I'm a long way from home, which is normally on the south coast of England, but I'm currently walking through Snow Canyon in the Mojave Desert in Utah, and I'm here with my two kids who are in their 20s, and my, their mum, my ex-wife, and we've always had family holidays, despite kind of going our separate ways. 14, 15 years ago, but we all get on as a kind of dysfunctional, happy family, I guess. And anyway, we're in the wilderness. It's just amazing. I can see lava formations, lots of amazing coloured orange rock. You can tell I'm a geologist, but it's just fun. And this is day two of a holiday in April 2019 road trip basically where we fly in this time to Vegas which is anything but the wilderness although it's pretty wild and unsavoury for all manner of reasons which I won't go into now but we've now moved on we're on a walk uh, on our way to a place called Page where we're going to stay for a few nights tonight and we've just had an amazing picnic in the middle of nowhere and now we're just walking and you may hear some birdsong. Okay, so it's the next day and we're now on the Hanging Garden Trail, which is in Page, which itself is in Arizona. More Martian landscapes, I think in another 20 years when they fake the man or woman's first landing on Mars. This is where they'll actually film it. It's just this barren desert of deep red rock probably looks darker than it is through my sunglasses but it's still pretty impressive and walking in the wilderness whether it's two miles from your house or two thousand miles from your house it just gives you that inner peace sense of proportion and it's a lovely warm early morning desert flowers in bloom if only I knew what I was seeing but I've got a friend back home who can identify them I'm sure
As Alice mentioned earlier, patterns of international human movement have changed drastically from last year to this year. But as Chrissy says, time in the outdoors can offer a sense of being grounded and connected to the world, no matter where we are. Our next piece takes us through the streets of New York on Lenape territory, as Gabriel Coleman and Lena Greenberg cycle along the route of the NYC Marathon. This is part of an annual, unsanctioned bike tour of the route, which takes place after the streets are closed to cars, but before the runners come through. Listening to this piece, I feel exhilaration as the cyclists race along this narrow strip of liminal time, bringing me into a space that is created only once a year, and which disappears ahead and behind. The piece is recorded in stereo, with Gabriel in the left channel and Lena in the right. I love how this allows the story to diverge as the two cyclists separate and come together over the course of the ride. A quick note, there is a significant amount of wind distortion, especially in the left channel, which might make for an uncomfortable listening experience on some devices. So now, what do we do? We take a right onto Lafayette. Cool. Yeah! Yay! Woohoo! <laughs> Mile nine. Yes! Yes! So exciting! Ah. Wow. So if I take a picture, will it fuck it up? I don't know. Probably. Okay. So we're not going to take any pictures the whole time? I didn't really think this through. I guess this is an exercise in using audio as a as sufficient a, form yeah, of record keeping. Exactly. So we don't have to stop at, do we still have to stop at the lights? Yeah, I think so. That might slow us down a little bit. Oh, cars, can you just chill away? <laughs> My dad is obsessed with this podcast. And by obsessed with this podcast, I mean obsessed with the idea of this podcast, which is called The War on Cars that is a streets vlog. Oh my God, let's make this light. <laughs> Wait, left, left. Oh, Lena. okay. I went the wrong way. <laughs> now let's play merge through traffic. Keep going. Okay. cars. Get out of my way. Selena is across Bedford from me and apparently the streets are not blocked off yet because as you can hear we've got some cars that we're hanging out with. 
Holy shit. Just people being rude. <laughs> okay, Hi. so we're not late enough, apparently. Because there are still cars on the road. Yeah. Well, if that means we need to stop and have a bagel, God damn it, we'll do it. We could do that. I don't feel like we should stop yet. No. Because we've gone like, what, half a mile? Yeah, and it's still fun. It's still more open. Yeah. There, no one's parked. Also, if we get hit by a car, look at all these cops. Because, you know, they're here to protect us. I feel safer. <laughs> don't you? What are you doing? Wow. That was my fault. Crazy I was angry distracted. runner in the other direction. So we're in the middle of the Queensboro Bridge. About to cross over the East River. And we were relegated to the bike path. Plane is somewhere behind me. And here's Roosevelt Island below us. It is still nice. And the bike path has better views than the bridge, so not exactly mad about it. River looking sexy. Don't see Gabe. Gabe is too fast for me. All right. How was your ride? It was fine. Just like a good example of everybody thinking they know better than everybody else about how to do that. Yeah. It's so telling how little practice big groups of bicyclists have. Yeah. Because we never get to do that because the roads are built to split us up. Right. 
Ooh, this is nice. Oh, yeah. Nice Where room. are we? Uh, we're on First Avenue. Fuck yeah. In Manhattan. Which is usually, like, as bike routes north go, pretty as good as it gets. And this is so much better. Yeah. Um, my understanding is this is, like, one of the best points in Manhattan. Because you like, like the bridge is super quiet. Uh huh. Because no one's on it to cheer. And then you just get off and, and it's, it's just, just like. Whoa. whoa, I hadn't thought about that at all. Yeah, Poland Spring. You privatize those public resources. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Good old Poland Spring. One of the things that's like so New York, but like no one ever really talks about it. Uh huh. Like an unspoken thing. That's very cute. Yeah. I've heard it be like on your left when we have so much. When we space. have four lanes of our <laughs> space and there are four cyclists. I'm into it. Okay, let's continue. Just street shit. What are we doing about these street sweepers? Should we pass them? Okay. I'm not going in between. Your eyes peeled for front runners. Yeah. Nice legs. Thank you. Hi. Adorable. You're famous. I love you. You're my idol. <laughs> And we've just finished a seven mile walk from Hope Station up to Hope Cross and 13 of us and we're a queer hiking group called Queer Out Here Adventures and you're listening to Queer Out Here. We are closing side A of issue five with a piece from Jenny List. Jenny took Jonathan and Dan on a tour of a tiny village along path and into buildings Jenny helps maintain. Footpaths are an important part of any local environment, both as a physical memory of human movement and as a way to access the outdoors in our daily lives. This is a case whether we are in a world put on hold by COVID-19 or rushing to and from daily routines of work, shop, school and home. We had a massive puddle out front which had dug all sorts of channels for 
the trouble is they've um, this is actually part of the road but back in the day they used to um, surface it and they've stopped uh, so this is slowly disintegrating at some point I've got to get random uh, neighbours and things interested in fixing it thank you right there we go well I took this on about two years ago because um, where we're standing, the path, was about six inches deep in leaf litter. It was that neglected. Uh, and so uh, I uh, first thing I did was uh, spend a summer, over a sort of few days, with a shovel and a wheelbarrow, just barrowing it all away. I've actually got to brush it now because it's got quite a bit on it. Um, we just pop inside for a minute, um, just to check that there's no water coming in. So Still very much in yeah. use. Um, uh, about six, eight services a year. I mean, it's a tiny church. Um, oh, yes, please sign the visitors' book. Because <laughs> what's, what's the date today? 18th. 18th, okay. The reason I sign the visitors' book is because uh, it's part of my metrics. <laughs> I mean, as a walker, I've probably walked into hundreds of uh, village churches. And, you know, you wander around, have a look, chuck a couple of quid in the box or whatever. Don't worry, you don't have to. Um, and walk away. And it's only after becoming a church warden, I realise signing the book is important. So, uh. Jonathan always signs the guest book. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, let's have a look. So first, first signed in. Oh, my goodness. It really is. Yeah. I mean, not many people visit. It's a small church. 21st of May, 1981, before I was born. No. Now, part of part of the thing with this church is that it's been locked. Yeah. Because in the seventies there was a spate of thefts from churches, mm -hmm. but I think they're overreacted. I'm working to get this place so it's open because it's a way of reconnecting it with the village. When a church has lost a building has lost its connection with the village, it's on a fast trek downwards, mm -hmm. and so that's a way of getting it back. Um, I mean, as to the church, this is a very sort of austere, whitewashed box inside. It's. Other, 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 other church wardens get towering medieval masterpieces. This is actually Georgian. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and unfortunately it's Gothicized, so it's got pointy windows. In Georgian times it would have bigger um, rectangular windows. Yeah. But the thing it has got, which a lot of Georgian churches have, is a gallery. Yes. And generations of kids in this village have uh, enjoyed themselves playing in that gallery. Yeah. Uh, I think it's so the peasants could be shuffled up there while Squire sat down here or something. <laughs> Um, it's a nice uh, roof. I'm very happy with this roof because it was redone in 1905, so it's got no lead for people to steal, <laughs> and more to the point, it's a 20th century roof. So whenever I talk to the English heritage people or whatever like that, oh, it's a 20th century roof. <laughs> it doesn't matter that it's over 100 years old. Um, but yeah, this is, I grew up in this village, this is the church I was baptised in, and... Uh, it's kind of weird, sort of decades later, to end up being its custodian. Uh, yeah. but, uh, What's this congregation size? We will normally get 15 or 20 people um, because people come from some of the surrounding villages. Mm 
But the idea is to reconnect it with the village, try to use it more for uh, village events and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like we have HS2 coming through, and HS2 come here and do their meetings. You know, they give their PR fluff and pull out their maps <laughs> and what have you. And we have our village meetings in here and things like that. So, uh, yeah. I'll put the lights on. Thanks. Now we've just got to wander around. It's a weird thing. It's almost a superstition. That I don't. I've, I've told by somebody that it comes from Celtic folklore. That one goes around a church clockwise, and apparently it's horrible bad luck to go around the other way. <laughs> it's one of those things I was told when I was a kid, but have never quite shaken. <laughs> so uh, as we're not, we're going around the church clockwise. <laughs> Um, I can't see the tiles on the ground because was it what was it Storm Dennis? Dennis. Storm Dennis has just passed over, and like any church warden, I'm worried about my roof. Yeah. Because um, at some point I'm going to have to get up there with some scaffolding and replace a few broken tiles. As you can see, it's it's showing its age. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's usually bits of tile on the ground if one's come down and you can see a few bits there that come down yeah. in the previous yeah. year. Um, but uh, I think we got away with it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that's uh, bowed with the heat over the years, yeah. the window, yeah. But it's been like that since I was a kid, so it's not going to work. Well, that is actually one of the things about this, that there aren't, unfortunately a previous church warden a few decades ago took out some headstones when he probably shouldn't have, unfortunately, <laughs> but you're surrounded by basically everybody who has lived in this village for getting on for a thousand years. Yeah. And so in here is every other church warden. <laughs> and you know, you think, are they watching? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, the point is to make it as good as possible. As to being a, um, as to being a trans person, being a uh, church warden, it hasn't been an issue. Uh, I mean, the benefits have been very, very welcoming. Um, I actually brought some, um, in Oxford there is a um, LGBT Christian outreach at the United Reformed Church, so it's called First Sunday, firstsunday.info and I brought them here for their summer outing. Uh, so basically I brought an extra congregation and an extra service, uh, for which the benefits are very pleased yeah. and been very welcoming. Uh, so I've actually been very pleased about that because some Christian denominations have a reputation for being less friendly. And I'm in this because I grew up in this village and I'm wanting to take care of the, the church. And I find that the the church, the organisation, I'm very pleased to find them to be welcoming because we've all met people who aren't, obviously, you know. We get quite a lot of flooding here, isn't there? I mean, we may, on our walk today, we may get uh, um, sidetracked by flooding. Thanks again to Jenny for taking us around this little church in a tiny village at the end of the road in the English countryside.
For me, this is quite a poignant place to end Side A, because this conversation took place during the last holiday my partner and I went on before the UK went into lockdown. Looking back on my recordings from that trip, this conversation with Jenny, a train station and crowded train ride in Birmingham, a hailstorm beating down on the car windscreen as we crept along the motorway. I think about the movement that we took for granted and I wonder at how much life has changed, how much our everyday interactions with outdoor spaces have changed. And that's a theme we'll explore further inside B. For now, a big thank you to everyone who sent us their pieces featured in issue 5, side A. Drew, Kai, Jonathan, Julia, Chrissy, Gabrielle, Lena and Jenny. Thanks also to Martha and Yurin, Kermi and the fabulous folks at Queer Out Here Adventures for the sweepers. If you'd like to find out more about any of our contributors or their pieces, please make sure to pop over to our website, queerouthere.com. There you'll find show notes, Emily's wonderful cover art and a full transcript. We'd love it if you let us or our contributors know what you enjoyed about this issue, so please do get in touch on Twitter or Facebook or send us an email at queerouthere at gmail.com. And that's it for Queer Out Here issue 5 side A. We hope you've enjoyed this reminder of pre-COVID life and we look forward to meeting you again inside B with the sounds of lockdown. Until then, from me, Alice. And me, Jonathan. Goodbye. Goodbye. See you later, alligator. <laughs>